Very good evening to each and every one of you. Hope that you have your Bibles still and that you will turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verses 16 through 21 will be our text of study this evening. So thankful that the number I think is the same as whenever Zach got done. I appreciate you staying around to listen to a second preacher on a Friday night with a far inferior beard and who is not named Zach. I think the, percentage, uh, the percentages of you being able to get into this program really drop if your name is not Zach. So I really feel like a true success story. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. As I, we were sitting there worshiping together in song, I was reminded of how much I love this church, especially the singing. I tell you, I, I love worshiping with this church and the heart and the passion that I hear, especially whenever we sing together. I appreciate this church for so many reasons, especially for the labor of love that you do in bringing in young men to preach or to, to grow in their preaching abilities. It is a good work, but it is, it's not an easy work. It's not an easy work to have to give the effort that it takes to bring in young men to learn among you. It takes a lot of patience. It takes patience to have, especially young men from Tennessee who think they know it all, come in and, and help them to grow. As you can tell, I think I've grown a little bit and matured at least a little bit. I'm wearing the closest thing I have to red. Well, Paul said I need to be a Jew among the Jews, a Greek among the Greeks. I figured, I guess I need to be a heathen among the heathens. (laughs) I love you all so much. And Katie does too. And we think of you so often. And we're so thankful for every opportunity that we have to be back among you. We love you, brethren. Thank you for this opportunity to be back among you this weekend. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16, we read of a parable of Jesus that says, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Any study that we have concerning a parable of Jesus is very much bettered by a consideration of the greater context in which the parable is delivered. The greater context, what we have here in Luke chapter 12, is is that we notice at the end of chapter 11 that Jesus has been teaching with authority and been trying to change the hearts of the Jewish people to lead them back to God, to prepare them for the establishment of the kingdom. And we know that the established leadership of the Jews did not care much for that. In fact, it greatly displeased them to see Jesus speaking and teaching and preaching with such authority. We see at the end of Luke chapter 11, verse 53, that when he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. It should not surprise us at all then what we see at the beginning of chapter 12. Under these circumstances, 
As the Pharisees are plotting to destroy Jesus and to bring him down, what we see at the beginning of chapter 12 is that, in fact, Jesus' popularity is growing. After so many thousands, Luke 12 and verse 1, of people gathered, had gathered together that they were stepping on one another. Jesus was getting mobbed. What did Jesus do in the situation? Did he run? Did he hide at this point? Was this one of the times whenever Jesus separated himself from the crowds and went to be alone with his father in prayer? No, that's not what he did this time. In fact, at this time what he did is he took advantage of the mob. And he began to teach. The scripture tells us that he spoke first to his disciples. Verse number two, right at the end of verse number one, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He then goes on over the next few verses to, to teach on a variety of subjects. He speaks of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, how they need to fear God alone, how God alone cares for us, how they needed to be sure that they were willing to confess the Son of Man. He talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. There's so much that Jesus teaches in this text that we could spend many, many nights of study together on. But what we're going to focus on this evening is what prompted this specific parable. Do you see what that was here later on in this text in Luke chapter 12? What we see is in, in verse 13, that someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. If you highlight, circle, do any type of writing in your Bible or, or maybe in your Bible app, that's something that you need to, you need to highlight right there. Beware of every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance of his, or does his life consist of the possessions. Whenever he is rich, he is not defined by his riches. Then Jesus goes into the parable of this man who was rich. He was materially rich, extremely blessed, had many riches, many crops especially, is what we see within this parable. Then he says, well, as I'm growing, I need to... I need to prepare for even more growth that I expect to come. Yet sadly, it seems by the way the parable is written that he never got to enjoy that additional growth for his soul was required of him that very night. What we're going to do this evening is to consider why Jesus would call this man a fool. Why would Jesus... Speaking as if God is speaking to this man, why would Jesus, why would God refer to this man as a fool? Let me suggest to you that has something to do with that phrase I told you to highlight, to be, beware of every form of greed. And then I want us to learn just a couple of lessons from that during our time of study tonight. Again, I'm so thankful that you are here, thankful that you stuck around. And our hope and prayer is that God is glorified in our study together this evening as we consider the foolish man of Luke chapter 12. As I mentioned, we want to talk very first off about what made this man a fool. Why would he be referred to as a foolish man? That didn't come up. I knew that would happen. That's okay. Why would he be a fool? Here's the first reason why I believe, and it centers around the fact that this man, he gave no consideration to God in his plans. He gave no consideration to God in his plans. Whenever I read this particular parable, that's one of the very first things I see. I see a man who did not consider God as he considered the future. 
I see that very quickly, especially whenever we consider the personal pronouns that we see within this parable. By my count, I see at least 13 times in these few short verses that this man refers to himself. If you would look with me again at the text, beginning at verse 17. What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build large ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and be merry. Do we see this man considering anybody else within these plans other than himself? I don't. Not only does he not mention God at all, by my estimation, but I don't even see him considering his family. He doesn't say, after all this will be done, my family will be blessed. My family will have many goods to live on. No, it is just himself. I will take my ease. I will eat. I will drink. I will be, I will be merry. This parable speaks of a man who is only concerned with himself. While we often attribute the principle of Psalm 14 and verse 1 where the psalmist writes that the fool has said in his heart there is no God, while we often attribute that text and the principle behind it to atheists who live as if there is no God and they, they would outwardly proclaim that there is no God, they would fight against the notion of there being a God, I'd like to suggest that this man wasn't living much differently than an atheist. While he might not have been proclaiming there is no God, he was living as if there was no God. He was planning as if there was no God. He was thinking as if there was no God. He gave zero consideration to God in his life. Do you see that like I do? No consideration. It's all about me, all about my, all about you speaking of himself. And we should know well that as we read this, that this is not going to end well, is it? It's not going to end well because we know According to the Proverbs, twice we see almost the exact same proverb, word for word, in Proverbs 14 and verse 12 and Proverbs 16 and verse 25, that there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That when we only consider ourselves, we are only leading ourselves to disaster. Isn't that what we see all throughout the history of Israel? A people who failed to consider the Lord their God. A people who failed to consider their deliverer. A people who failed to consider their blessing giver. No, we're not going to destroy all the people, the nations. We don't need to do that. But you know what? We do need a king, an earthly king. We need a man to be our king. You know what? This whole nation being combined into one great nation, that's not working out so well. Let's divide the nation and see how that goes. When they chose to do these things, what was their end? Disaster after disaster after disaster. And Jeremiah saw that. Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, Jeremiah sees 
this having played out in the history of Israel. He saw and he acknowledged, he confessed that I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Lord, I'm looking back on the history of Israel and I have seen that whenever we have done things our way, they've been bad. The end result has been bad, negative disaster. Friends, whenever we look at this foolish man here in Luke 12 who considered only himself, who considered only his desires, what was the end? Well, it was disaster. And the same is true for us, that whenever we decide to ignore God, that decision will only end in disaster. Yet that's not, only, that's not the only part that made this man a fool. Would you consider as well that not only did he not give God any consideration for the future, but once he got to the future within his mind, well, there was no consideration for God either. He gave God no credit for the blessings that he would enjoy. I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. No, I will say to my soul, soul, God has been good to you. No, soul, God has blessed you abundantly. No, let us give glory to God. There was no consideration of God at all. The issue isn't in him eating and drinking and being married. We recognize that, don't we? That's not the issue. That's fine. And we know that's fine because that's what the preacher of Ecclesiastes says. He says that there is nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This is a good thing. This is from the hand of God, the preacher says. So there's nothing wrong with him eating and drinking and being married. Yeah, we just read what the difference is, right? What's the difference between the full of Luke 12 and what the preacher says in Ecclesiastes? Well, it has to do with that last part of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 24. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. Our eating and our drinking and our being merry, it must be motivated by gratitude to God. For he alone, we know, is the giver of every good gift, James 1 and verse 17. And we know that as disciples, as people of God, that we are supposed to rejoice always and that in everything we are to give thanks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. That's what God expects of us. To give Him the glory. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Do we not just sing this together? That's on, our, that's on our hearts. That's in our heart right now, having sung that together. Yet this man, he was a fool, for he gave no consideration to God. Thirdly, he took the future for granted. This man was a fool because he took the future for granted. Intertwined within this very self-centered mindset, we see him making these plans and then taking these plans to the bank and cashing them in as if they're actually going to happen. He says, because I'm making these plans, I am sure they're going to happen. I am guaranteed within myself that this is going to happen. But God said to him, you fool, you fool, this very night, your soul is required of you. This man, he just assumed that everything was going to go just as he had planned. 
But God stops him in his tracks and reminds him that the future is anything but guaranteed. And, this, and what this probably brings to my mind is what comes to your mind, James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, we have the inspired writer James speaking about the future and how we as the people of God ought to approach the future. Excuse me, James chapter 4, James chapter 4 and verse 13. James chapter 4 and verse 13. Come now, you who, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, engage in business and make a profit. Does that sound familiar to you? That sounds a lot like the man in Luke 12 to me. And he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to tear down our barns. We're going to build bigger barns. And we're going to stuff those with crops. And then we're going to build even bigger ones. And then we're going to kick back and we're going to relax. Yet James reminds us that we do not know, James 4 and verse 14, we do not know what our lives will be like tomorrow for we are just a vapor that disappears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. And also do this or do that. This ought to be our mindset. Not that we don't make plans. We have plans this weekend, don't we? Preachers, we're getting together tomorrow at Panera. I believe we're going to enjoy a meal at Benny's house tomorrow afternoon. I hope you knew about that. If not, get ready. Got, a, got a 12 hours or so. We're making plans. And we do make plans on a daily basis. Yet, our arrogance and our pride should not move us to, to consider those plans as if we know they're going to happen. We don't have control over those things. We may plan, yes, but we need to keep things in perspective and not take the future for granted or else we will end up being a fool as this man was. Yet his fourth, his fourth problem was the fact that he stored up treasure in the wrong places. He stored up treasure in the wrong place. This is our final consideration of what made this man a fool for this evening. That he spent all of his time putting all of his eggs into one basket. Jesus, thankfully, makes this abundantly clear to us. He says in Luke chapter 12 and verse 21, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This man seems to have up to this point in his life put a lot of work into his earthly wealth. So much so that he had an abundance. He said, I have more than I know what to do with. So I'm going to tear down barns and build bigger barns to store this abundance of crops. He had put so much work and effort and planning into being wealthy in this way, physically, materially. Yet, what we see is, at least the way I read the text, is that he never even got to enjoy those things. He made the plans, yet the plans were never realized. You fool, tonight, this night, your soul is required of you. It was at that night that he would stand before the Lord. And that he would stand before the Lord weak and spiritually poor. That he had put so much effort into building up for himself treasures on earth that whenever he stood 
before the Lord, he had nothing to show for his time on earth. Absolutely nothing at all. Yet might I suggest to you this evening that this weakness on his part, it could have been understood in other times in his life too. It didn't take his soul being required that night for him to realize, I've really messed this up. Let me ask, what would have happened if at some point in the future this man, you know, his farm might have been hit by a storm of some sort? What might have happened if, if a bolt of lightning had hit just at the right time in a field and had scorched his entire acreage of crops? What would have happened then? What would this man have had to lean upon? Best I can tell, his treasure was gone. His treasure was in his wealth. That's where his heart was. And with his wealth being his treasure and his treasure being destroyed, his heart was left exposed. And he was left with nothing. Nothing at all. Exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 21 that Zach read for us earlier. That we don't store up treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and, break in and steal because those things, these, these material possessions, this wealth can be gone so quickly. And if that is where our heart is, then our heart will have no foundation once they are gone. That made this man a fool. And what a sad story we have about this man in his life. Yet, even with a sad story, there are some lessons that can be learned. And I believe the first one ought to be pretty obvious to us. That greed is a life destroyer. Greed is a life destroyer. Let's go back and tie this into the context. Why is Jesus even telling us about this man? He's telling us about this man because there is a jilted brother. At least he in his mind believes himself to be a jilted brother. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Teacher, I have been wronged. My brother, who, who we might assume himself might be a little greedy, if there is one brother who has received the inheritance, and it might very well be that, that the other brother has a need. Well, why wouldn't one brother share with a needy brother? It might be that he's greedy. What we have here is two greedy brothers. And Jesus feels the need to share with them in this time this strong warning about greed, which he illustrates in the parable be on your guard against every form of greed. There's a couple of observations I want to take from this. Firstly, I want us to consider that this greed led this man to take his own family to court, we might say. That instead of these brothers being willing to work this out, Instead of one brother taking care of the other brother, 
and both of them putting greed away from their hearts and making things work out between them. We have one taking one to court, probably because one is being greedy. What we have here is family dysfunction at the highest degree. Man, wouldn't you guys want to be at this, this family's Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner? I bet that would just be a bundle of laughs and joy. Yeah, that's where they were. They were in conflict. They were in dysfunction. And it seems to all stem from them having greed within their hearts. This brother, he wanted his money. And he was willing to put the family through turmoil to get that money. That's greed. But secondly, let's notice from this verse here in verse 15 that we're not defined by our abundance of riches. That's not what defines us. Just because we have great riches, that doesn't mean that we're truly wealthy. This is why he launches into this parable, I believe, to try to show that, that you don't need to worry about riches, that that ought not be something that you're willing to sacrifice so much for, even your family. Because notice that this man had great riches in the parable. Yet, what did he have to show before God? What did he, put, what did he amass for himself that actually mattered? And the truth is nothing. That while he might have been a very wealthy and maybe even a powerful man within the community because of his riches, his abundance of wealth, the fact is that whenever he stood before the Lord, he stood there as did the Laodiceans. They were poor. They were wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. And that's how this man was. Because he had massed no riches in a spiritual sense. What had he given up to have those riches that really amounted to nothing? It seems as if the answer would be every, Everything. And maybe that question is for us then. What can greed, maybe what has greed, what would greed demand of us? Could it be our families? That we're so greedy for wealth that we're always working. And that even maybe whenever we're home, our mind is elsewhere. That our husbands and our wives, they don't truly have our hearts. They don't truly have our affection. They don't truly have our attention. That our children, they don't really have a father or a mother because our hearts are elsewhere and our minds are miles away because we're looking at simply adding another zero to our name. Might it be our spirituality that we sacrifice, that we have no time for consideration of God's word, that we have no time to assemble with the saints. That we're willing to even deny God's will in our lives. To sin, to be unethical, to be immoral in order to gain that wealth. Could that be me? And the answer is that yes, it could be me. It could be. We need to be on guard against every form of greed. 
That's what the Lord says to these men who come to him. That's what he says about the man in the parable. And friends, that's what he is saying to us. But something that can aid us in this guarding ourselves against greed is our final point for this evening. And I appreciate your patience again on a Friday night listening to a second speaker. It is this. It is that we need to remember that God will supply our needs if we will commit ourselves to him and his kingdom. That if we will commit ourselves to spiritual things first and foremost, then God will take care of us. One of the things that we're not talking about this evening is, is being rich. This evening I'm not talking about being a people who, who must be destitute. I'm not talking that we must be a people who live as monks or nuns who have nothing in this life. What I am talking about is making sure that we use our wealth and that we control our wealth and that our wealth does not use and control us. That's what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about us following the directive that Paul gives to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 beginning in verse 17. Because the way that we behave sometimes, we should expect for what Paul to be saying in this text is that you instruct those who are rich to go not be rich. But that's not what the text says. By inspiration, what the Apostle Paul writes is that we instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to, sh to share, storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Again, go back to this man. What was one of his issues? Not only that he gave no consideration for God in his plans, he gave no consideration for anybody else in his plans. No family, no friends. No needy people. I wonder how much good this man could have done with his riches. How much good could he have done for the community with the mass of wealth that he had? I think we all say he probably could have done a lot of good, a great deal of good. Yet he was conceited. He was self-centered. He was greedy. Paul says here again, he doesn't say, don't be wealthy. He says, use your wealth well. Specifically, he says to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. This church is to be commended to that degree. I know the generosity of this church. I've seen it firsthand. Do we remember while I was here in, I guess it was 2014, the tornado that came through? I remember getting up on a Saturday morning and going and helping people. I remember this church getting together that effort. And I am very confident in saying that when many of the natural disasters have happened over the past couple of years, that this church participated in helping disciples. That this church participated in helping those of like precious faith who were greatly greatly affected by hurricane, by flood, by tornado, whatever it might have been, this church participated in that. Of that I am very, very confident. It's not that we are not rich. It's that we use the riches well.
and in doing so and using those riches well and seeking first his kingdom, what the Lord says is that we'll be supplied. We'll be supplied. He says that within this text in verse 31, Luke 12, verse 31, seek first his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And that sounds familiar. It should be. That's the Sermon on the Mount too. More than likely, these are not the same events that are being recorded by two different gospel accounts. I'm of the belief that this is Jesus, again, reiterating something that he's already spoken in the past. Why would he do such a thing? Because it's important. It's important that we seek first his kingdom and all these things shall be added to you. That when we are blessed, we strive to bless others. That's what I'm learning from this text. That greed is a life destroyer, and if we want to defeat greed, then we will learn how to use our wealth and to control it to do good, not allow it to control us to sin and fall short of God's glory. Because in a world that is overrun by the pursuit of wealth, by the disease of greed, we must be ever more on guard against falling into such temptations and allowing our hearts to be turned away from God. May this sad parable of the rich fool, may his ignorance of God, may his lack of faith in God, may his unfounded faith in the future and his love of riches, may these things teach us so that we can be the disciples that Jesus has called us to be. May we hope and have confidence only ever firmly planted in the Lord and the grace that He supplies. That grace is all that we need and He will care for us if His kingdom and its glory is our pursuit. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer? Our Almighty Father in heaven, we approach your throne of mercy and grace at the close of our time spent in your word this evening, asking you to soften our hearts, to receive its truth with great honesty and sincerity. Help us, Father, to truly put our hope and our trust only in you and those things that are eternal, for we know that we will only ever be let down if we put our hope and trust in things of this world. We are so thankful that you are a faithful God who sees to our every need, especially those things that sustain us spiritually. Help us to be ever committed to focusing so greatly upon those things that are above so that we might be found spiritually rich, spiritually healthy, spiritually strong in your sight. We ask that all of our efforts that are being done this weekend be done to your honor and glory. All of this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. As you sit here this evening and you contemplate what we have considered, both in this study and what Zach led us in earlier, as you consider those things, how do you find yourself? Do you find yourself rich? If you find yourself rich, how are you rich? Are you rich based upon the standard of this world? Or are you rich concerning things above? If you find yourself poor, whether that be of this world or you find yourself poor spiritually, the good news 
is that you have a Father who is waiting to bless you abundantly. First and foremost, spiritually. That even if you don't have a dime to your name, you have a crown waiting for you in heaven. If you this evening will put your faith in God, you will die to yourself so that you might live to Christ. If that is you this evening and you're ready to become a Christian, you're ready to walk with the King, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.